Welcome to the Dreadcast. I'm Donovan Dread. In this episode, we're going to hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out dreadsarmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. Howdy, Donovan. I love your content and I always wondered if I'd see anything like the folks that write into your channel. Well, by the grace of God, I think I might have. I'm a long-haul trucker covering all across the United States, from Maine to California and back again. I have a few routes that take me through the mountains, deserts, and forests. Just about anywhere you can think of, I've driven through it. It's a solitary life out on the road, and I don't get to see my family and friends nearly as much as I'd like to. I sure miss them and try to call them as often as I can, but the time zone changes and the odd hours can make it difficult. So, like any good trucker, I find ways to entertain myself. In particular, I enjoy calling out on my CB radio. My handle is Big Blue, and I've made quite a few friends out on the road using this little radio. It broadcasts only in a short radius, about 20 miles if the connection is good, and only around 3 miles if there's a big mountain range or something in the way. Well, usually I get a pretty good connection. There's usually always someone out there chattering about politics or reality TV or traffic jams. I like to chat with my fellow drivers about their lives, their kids, and so on. It's not too tough to find something in common with them, and I always point out the police stops and the road closures and weather conditions. I started noticing this phenomenon a while back, and I'm just now piecing together what I believe could be interesting for you. Each time I'd drive through a little town in Oklahoma on my Midwestern route, I'd get odd sounds coming through my CB radio. The first time it sounded like nails on a chalkboard. Well, maybe nails on a chalkboard if the chalkboard was underwater and the nails were from a panther. I don't know. It was unlike anything I've ever heard before. And really, there's not much going on there. They've got a pharmacy and a movie theater and a McDonald's and that's about it. It used to be booming with some factory work, but I guess that business moved out and left the town pretty stranded. There's got to be only a couple hundred people living in the entire county, so the area is pretty desolate. The only special thing about this spot are these sounds that come through the radio. I don't know why it seems so special to me, only that I never heard anything like that. The second time I drove through, the sound changed. It was like a beeping noise or a dial-up telephone. And then it sounded like a woman singing. It only lasted for about five minutes as I drove through, and I was going about 60 miles an hour at that point. I thought maybe my radio was cross-connecting with something. The next time I drove through, that sound changed again. I slowed down this time and stopped for a sandwich so I could listen more closely. This time, the sound was a terrible scream, like a girl screaming. I just couldn't chalk it up to coincidence or leave it alone. It was just too odd. I walked myself right up to the police station and kept persisting until they sent an officer out to take a listen. When I turned on my radio that time, all I heard was radio static. They all rolled their eyes and laughed at me, but I knew this was real. When I got back in my truck alone, I heard it again. This time it was a scream that sounded like a song. I truly don't know. I drove all around that whole county trying to pinpoint where the sound was stemming from. When I got outside the borders of the town, my radio would get fuzzy and I'd start to hear the usual calls from other truckers. 
I found myself following as the sound got louder and louder, as I approached this empty factory. This was the place that I guess went out of business. Now, I don't know what's going on in there, but it's got to be something that the police know about. Because as I approached those front gates, I spotted the same officer that went to listen to the radio with me parked right outside. I have no idea why he'd act like he didn't know where the sound was coming from. But did he lie right to my face? I don't want to get myself in any kind of trouble, so I figured I'd best stay away for a while. Better not to stick my nose in where it don't belong. When I drive through, I still turn my radio up. And each time I hear something new. Sometimes screams sometimes shrieks, sometimes whispering or beeping, or a combination of every sound imaginable. I don't know. I just don't know. I have a feeling that the police over there must know more than what they're letting on. I'll keep you updated if I see, or more likely hear, anything else. Thanks for doing what you do. Hi Donovan. When I was a teenager, I worked at a restaurant that was in an old farmhouse. The bartender, the busboy, and the owners had all told me that the house was haunted. And even some of the longtime diners had stories about encounters with a ghost that supposedly lived there. The odd thing was that the ghost didn't seem to want to scare anyone. It tried to be helpful. A missing kitchen tool would suddenly appear on the counter in plain sight. A misplaced set of keys would show up under the diner's table after three different people had looked in that spot. A kid would suddenly be holding a toy that no one recognized. There were tons of stories like that, and everyone thought of the helpful ghost like a mascot for the restaurant. One day I had gone into work early to do some deep cleaning. I broke the cardinal rule, never go in the basement fridge without letting someone know you were headed that way. The interior lever on the door was tricky, and if the door slammed shut behind you, you were stuck until someone released the door from the other side. Additionally, the basement had very limited cell service. So there I was, completely alone, in the place, which was not out of the ordinary. I often went in during off hours for deep cleaning and prep work. I realized that we were out of lemons in the kitchen, so I headed downstairs to grab some. My boss never needed to know I had gone downstairs without a buddy. Big mistake. I sent the block that we used to prop the door open skidding across the floor. Without thinking, I went after it, and then heard the door slam behind me. I immediately knew I was in trouble. Not only was it super cold in there, but my boss was going to be super upset with me. She reminded us constantly that we needed to go to the fridge in pairs. I checked my cell phone, no surprise I had no signal. I then got to thinking about how it would be several hours before anyone else would show up, and even longer before someone realized I was missing or headed downstairs for supplies. I thought through my options, which were zero. I just had to wait it out, freezing in my t-shirt and shorts. My teeth started chattering. It was really cold. I started pacing to keep myself warm occasionally holding my phone over my head to check for a signal. I only needed one bar, but none ever appeared. On what seemed like my 200th lap of the fridge, I had my back to the door when I heard the distinctive thunk of the door handle being pushed from the outside. I whirled around expecting to see my angry boss or a confused co-worker. But there was no one, and the door was swinging open. I dashed out of the fridge into the hallway that led to the stairs. I looked around and called out, but didn't see or hear anyone. 
I then ran upstairs. There was no one in the kitchen or the dining room or at the bar. When I peeked out the window, mine was the only car in the lot. And then it hit me, our ghost. It's all I could figure at that point. But the only answer I could come up with was that our helpful ghost had let me out of that fridge, sparing me hours in the cold and also from the horrifying possibility of having to pee in a corner. I never told anyone about my experience because I didn't want to get into trouble. But I never laughed at anyone again who said that they had encountered a ghost. And that was the last time I went into the basement alone. Hi there, Donovan. I'm a recent subscriber to your channel. I found your channel when I was looking for answers. I'm not much of a believer in all the paranormal things people talk about. I've always just thought folks were overreacting, letting their imagination run wild. It feels weird to be on the other side now, to have a story to tell that a lot of people will think is fake. But I can swear right now this actually happened. I have a small farm in Townsend, Delaware, just some chickens and corn to sell, and we keep a cow for our own use, plus a medium-sized garden to feed our family. That's in Newcastle County, about a half hour from Battery Park. Lots of farms out here. We had been having some trouble with something getting into our chickens these past six months or so. I figured it was a fox managing to get under the fence. Couple times lately, I'd go out in the morning to find a mess of feathers. Whatever got to the bird, it carried it off to eat. I've got a German Shepherd, but he's still mostly a pup, and I don't quite trust him to wander around loose. He stays in the house at night, but the night this had happened, we penned him up on the enclosed porch because he had gotten into something that made him sick. Nothing serious, but I didn't want him messing up the house. So when he started carrying on around 2 in the morning, barking and whining, I wasn't sure if he just had to go do his business or if he saw something on the property. Either way, I had to get up and take him outside. I did grab my rifle, though, thinking I might catch the fox in the act. The first sign I had that something was wrong was the way my pup was acting. He got out on the grass and sniffed the air and then whimpered and didn't want to roam. Now usually he just races around like a goof and I've got to keep whistling for him. But he just stayed near the side of the house and did his thing, then scampered back over to the porch. I let him back in knowing he had a time of it and just figured he still felt ill. While I was out, it made sense to walk out to the hen house and see if everything looked alright. It's a little bit away from the house. As I was heading over there, the cow started bellowing, which is really unusual for her. I decided to stop at the barn first. When I checked on her, she was alright but really twitchy and all wide-eyed and nervous. I looked around good for a snake. That will spook a cow. I didn't see anything. I let her be and went on to the chicken pen. Once I had gotten 10 yards away, I could hear the hens fussing. Something had them all riled up, for sure. I threw the bolt on my rifle so I'd be ready to nail the fox if I saw him. I've got lights up over the pen, and the area was pretty well illuminated. There's two structures for the birds, and a small shed where I keep the feed. I looked through the fence and didn't see anything, but something had them squawking, so I unlatched the gate and went inside. As soon as I got in there, I could smell it. There was a strong scent of sulfur, like you just lit a match. I remember panicking for a second looking for a fire. I guess I just associated sulfur with fire. 
I wasn't even thinking about the fox now, just sniffing the air and trying to figure out what's that burning. Then I hear a squawk from a bird, and it's just cut short. It came from behind the feed shed. I stood still for a minute knowing that something had just killed a hen. I crept over there real easy with my rifle aimed coming around the corner. When I saw the thing, I almost dropped my gun. That's how shocked I was. It was crouched down low, huddled over the hen it had just caught. It was just as big as a calf with a goat's head and curved horns. And there were damn wings on its back, like something out of a storybook. I just froze, forgetting about the gun in my hand. The thing looked up and I swear it looked evil. Glowing yellow eyes in its head, all bony and rigid. It was holding that dead hen in these little front legs like you see on a T-Rex, skinny with talons. The thing screeched at me and the sound was like something straight out of hell, like a cross between an angry giant bird and the scream a cougar makes. I stumbled back and fell on my ass, dropping my gun. Then I scrambled up as quick as I could, scared to pieces it was going to attack me. I snatched up my rifle and pulled the trigger, shooting like a crazy man, not even taking time to aim. The thing took off. It actually flew. These giant bat wings just unfolded, and it launched into the air, carrying the hen. I saw its legs then, hocked like a horse's, and it had a skinny whip-like tail. The thing didn't rise too high, maybe it couldn't. It went about 15 feet up and then flew straight away, not any higher. I shot at it one more time, but I know I missed. I really didn't have much of a chance. Well, I guess I did, but I blew my chance falling on my ass. I went out the next morning looking for something to prove what I saw. There were signs of a scuffle behind the shed, and some tracks in the dirt that looked like hooves. But it's been dry and they didn't imprint very well. I took pictures, but you can't really tell what you're looking at. I decided I'm going to get a security camera that's motion activated installed on my property. I'll set it up in the chicken pen and maybe I'll get lucky and get a picture. If I do, I'll send it to you, Donovan. Then I'll have proof there's something weird out here in Delaware farm country. I went to college in Seattle in the early 2000s. I had gotten a fair number of scholarships, so I wasn't too worried about the cost of school itself but the price of textbooks was a lot more than I had planned. This led me to start looking for a job. I never had a real job before, so it took a few interviews to secure a position. My resume was a little thin at that point. I landed a gig as a barista at a coffee shop, a couple of blocks from the waterfront, kind of near the ferry. It was almost in Pike Place Market, but not the one of the cool spots that got a lot of traffic. The shop was on the bottom level of a building that housed a number of businesses. There is a print shop on the corner on our same street level, and on the floors above were offices and a couple of apartments at the very top level. I think the offices were for some sports company and a boating company that operated nearby, but had overgrown their building right on the water. That's what I gathered at least, after working there for a few months. It was January. I had come back early from winter break to pick up a couple shifts, and honestly to escape my extended family that had invaded my parents' house. I guess the timing doesn't really matter that much, except to tell you that it was winter. 
It was me and one other barista closing up the shop after an incredibly long, boring day. I think we had maybe 10 or 15 customers across my six-hour shift. Anna Marie, the other barista, was counting the till. She was the shift manager and so handled the money at the end of the day and had to walk it down the block to the night deposit. I wiped down half a dozen tables and stacked the chairs, mopped like usual, restocked the beans and made each of us a final cup of coffee for the road, split and bagged up the scones that were left over for Anna Marie and I to take home, really the best perk of the closing shift. I bagged up the trash cans, which was easy since we had so few customers. I took those out back to the alley, propping open the door with a spare crate. It looked like it had snowed a little, which wasn't surprising. There were warnings of an upcoming snowstorm. I think it ended up dumping two or three feet that night. On my way back from the trash, I circled down into the basement where the overstock refrigerator was. I pulled three milks from the fridge and reached down for a fourth. I had perfected a carrying method, but it was precarious. As I managed to grab the final gallon with one finger, I heard this weird sound from deeper in the basement. We never went on that side of the basement. In fact, there was an unfinished wall that blocked off a good two-thirds of it all. We'd been told not to go down there because of flood damage had exposed old pipes, and they didn't want us to get tetanus or something. It sounded like trickling water, and when I play it back in my mind even now, there is this faint laughter somewhere in the mix. It wasn't even creepy. It sounded like a normal laugh. But there shouldn't have been someone in the basement laughing. That was the creepiest part. I stood there for who knows how long, probably only a few seconds, before turning to go back upstairs. The sound had stopped and I thought I'd try to convince myself that maybe I just imagined it. I was halfway up the stairs, my attention focused on trying to balance the four gallons of milk. I was out of practice since I hadn't had a shift for a couple of weeks. I lost hold of a container and it had fell, bouncing down the steps as it broke open and gushed milk down the entire stairwell. I heard someone say, ow, as the milk hit the ground at the bottom of the stairs behind me. I kid you not. That was enough for me. I didn't want to meet whoever was chilling in the basement having a laugh. It was downtown Seattle, so there was always the possibility of random people around. I ran the rest of the way up the stairs and slammed the door behind me, double locking it. I never understood why there was a lock on that door to begin with, but thinking back, maybe there was a reason. I tossed the milks in the fridge under the counter. I saw that Anna Marie had already left with a night deposit. So I clocked out, grabbed my jacket, and headed out the back door to the alley. I walked up to that bus stop on 2nd and Lenora and went home. I didn't have another shift for a couple of days, so I started to forget what had happened in the basement. But a few days later, I had a last-minute opening shift filling in for another barista who was stuck at the airport in Detroit after their winter break. I got off the bus and made my way carefully down the hill. The snow had stuck around. The shop had actually been closed since my last shift because of that big snowstorm. As I rounded the corner to the front of the shop, I remembered I hadn't cleaned up the spilt milk and how awful that was going to be after it had been sitting there for a half a week. We were on the side street, so the snowplow hadn't come by yet. I stepped wrong and tripped face first into a pile of snow. I dug through with my foot to see what I'd tripped over. It turned out to be a zippered bag from the night deposit. It was locked and it still had money in it, but not very much. 
There hadn't been that many customers that day. I got to the front and there was glass everywhere on the street mixed in with the snow. The windows were totally shattered and the door was kind of smashed up. I was more nervous at that point and yelled into the shop to see if anyone was inside. I didn't get a response. I crept inside. The door was only open with one hinge so I had to pick it up and set it aside. The snow had blown in and frozen to the tiled floor. The coffee beans were everywhere and the machines were ripped apart. The tables and chairs were thrown around. I looked back through the smashed windows and could see a couple of chairs on the other side of the street, half buried in the snow. The basement door, I swear to God I had locked it, was standing open. The doorknob was twisted off and the bolt was splintered out. I clicked on the light and all the way down the stairwell were these streaks of these weird sparkly slime on the walls and steps which mixed into the frozen puddle of milk at the bottom. I don't know why, but I touched the slime. It stuck to my hand and there was this gritty texture to it. It reminded me of when my dad forced me to gut a fish and the scales had gotten everywhere. It had the same consistency. I went further downstairs. The unfinished wall had been pushed over and there was a giant hole in the wall with pipes bent in every direction. I ran back upstairs and I called Anna Marie to see if she was okay. She answered her phone and told me that when she went to deposit the cash, someone had hit her from behind and she woke up face first in the snow about 30 minutes later. She said she was so disoriented that her boyfriend had to come and pick her up. She didn't notice any of the windows being broken at that point. I hung up with her and I called my boss, who had been in Punta Cana for the last week, and I told him what was going on. Fast forward a few weeks after that, the police finally did investigate and it looked like the perpetrator came through that wall in the basement. But what in the hell is strong enough to break a concrete wall? The shop is back open now after the owner filed an insurance claim. But I quit a week after that incident, and especially after what happened to Anna Marie. In this episode, we're going to hear from a park ranger in South Carolina, and we'll find out why he is warning us to be cautious when entering the woods. Then we travel to Northern California, where a group of firefighters all experience something out of this world. Then we end up in Colorado, where someone sees something so big they can't believe it. But before we get into the stories, ah, uh, forget it. You all know the drill. Let's just get to the stories. Hi, Donovan. I'm not going to sign my name to this because... I'm afraid I might lose my job. I'm a park ranger near Clemson, South Carolina. I'm only sending you this because I think people have the right to know what's out there. There's a cluster of parks here in what we call the Mountain Bridge Wilderness. It includes Tables Rock, Caesars Head, and Jones Gap State Parks. I'm not going to tell you which one this happened in, but they're all pretty close together. I think people should be careful in all of them. First off, I'm not the only person who saw this. The reason I was on this particular trail was because a hiker reported seeing something unusual. He was pretty rattled, but very vague. We all figured it was a hoax of some sort, so I was assigned to investigate it and had to hike six miles out on a trail that ends at a waterfall. This is a pretty rough hike and not very well traveled. Honestly, we have so many waterfalls in this area. People seem to prefer going to the ones that have easy access and end in a shallow pool where their kids can swim. 
This waterfall is pretty, but it's not very big, and it's not very popular. I was looking forward to the assignment. I'm not one for hanging out at the ranger's office or patrolling campsites to make sure no one's breaking the rules. I usually volunteer if there's a job that takes me out further into the woods, like trail maintenance and stuff. So I was hiking this particularly steep stretch before you get to the falls, when some rocks started sliding. Not like a rock slide disaster, just a bunch of smaller rocks and debris cascading down from above me on the trail. We had a lot of deer and some black bears here, and that sort of phenomena is usually caused by a large animal up ahead. So, thinking it might be a bear, I proceeded with caution. I got to the top and looked around before I headed west in the direction of the falls. It's rare to see anyone up here, so I wasn't surprised to see the area was deserted. I was ready to take a load off, so when I got to the falls, I found a nice shady flat rock and sat down with my water bottle, figuring I earned a break. I was planning to scout the area afterwards and then head back down. I'm just sitting there thinking about my day when I heard something crashing through the brush on the other side of the falls. The woods are pretty thick back there. I stayed still and quiet, figuring some wildlife was coming to take a drink. Oh, it was something coming to take a drink, but it wasn't like anything I'd ever seen before. I kid you not, this thing looked almost like a deer, but only if the deer had died and started to decay. Its head was just bone, a skull with empty eye sockets, but it was definitely alive and moving, not to mention huge. I know anyone else would think I was a lunatic, but I've heard you read a few stories on here before, so I can speak plainly. This thing was dead, dead and somehow alive. You could smell the decaying flesh on its body and see bones poking through here and there on its neck. It had lowered its head to the water like it was going to take a drink, and I'm sitting on the other bank, too scared to even breathe. All I could think was, this can't be real. Then it saw me. It lifted its head in those empty eye sockets and just pointed straight at me, and suddenly I see the red inside, glowing like coals on a campfire. I totally panicked, knowing this thing was some kind of evil. I jumped up and ran but then I heard a big splash. I turned around, but I was afraid that the thing had jumped into the shallow water and was chasing me. I flew down that trail, crashing into limbs and scraping my face, trying to keep my balance on all the loose rocks. I'm lucky I didn't fall off the mountain and get seriously hurt. By the time I got maybe a mile and a half away, I slowed down and listened. I didn't hear anything behind me. I can't explain what that thing was, but I know what I saw. Maybe it was some kind of evil spirit, although you couldn't see through it. Or maybe there's just creatures out there that we never see, because they've gotten so good at hiding. I also don't know if it was intending to hurt me. Was it chasing me? Seemed like it, but who's to say? There was an undeniable aura of, I guess you'd say, evil around it. I know I never want to meet up with it again. I didn't report it, maybe that sounds cowardly, but I don't need to lose my job over this or get told I need to see a shrink. I do think that people should be cautious going into the woods, any woods, and especially that area of South Carolina. There's danger out there. Danger in a form of which you never expect. 
Please be safe, everyone, and don't hike alone. I was a volunteer firefighter when those really bad wildfires hit Northern California. I'm actually from Idaho, but they flew me and some of my friends down there to help out because the blaze was so out of control. It's just unimaginable destruction and made me really sad to see all of those homes and neighborhoods totally destroyed. They had us camping a good distance away from any of the fires, and every night someone was on watch and radio. We were always on high alert because with the change in wind, miles could easily burn in minutes. I had been there for a week, maybe a week and a half. We had just pulled a 15 or 16 hour day and we were finishing up dinner, so probably close to 11 or 12 at night. This guy Casey comes running over and tells us to follow him to the back of camp. I mean back of camp is generous because that group had maybe 25 or 30 tents. We followed him to where these train tracks were. He was yelling about some weird sound he heard while he was taking a leak. I couldn't hear anything and neither could anyone else. But Casey was never like this. He was super chill and never made a big deal about anything. I think he was an English teacher or something at one point. I didn't know him super well. I had only worked with him once before. He ran down the train tracks. It was getting dark, but the fires were keeping it somewhat lit out so you could still sort of see what was happening. There was an overall glow to the situation. Casey had a pretty big head start on us, and we soon lost him in some trees up ahead. It was sometime right around then when the wind decided to change. The fire got to us quickly. But you see, the thing is, the fire was there way too fast. It should have taken an hour at least to make the distance that it did, but somehow all of a sudden everything was blazing. The trees, the grass, even the wood of the railroad tracks. I saw that the metal of the railroad tracks was also on fire. None of this was normal. Everything was happening too fast. We were surrounded on every side by walls of fire and it was closing in on us. I looked up and the flames were above us too. I thought I was imagining it at first, but then Nancy, one of the other ladies on the team, started yelling through the roar of the fire. Do you hear that? It was a strange cross between a hiss and a hum. It was deep, but at the same time it was high-pitched. I could feel it under my skin. The fire brightened up where Casey had disappeared. The ground began to rumble when I realized the hissing was now coming from below. A giant sort of fireball exploded upwards in front of us. The fire around us grew lower except for in front of us where it grew even brighter. I saw what looked like the outline of a person deep in the fire. I thought it was Casey, but the closer I looked the stranger it appeared. It was hard to tell, but it was probably seven to eight feet tall. There was no way someone could withstand that heat either. It was impossible. The shrieking humming grew louder and I realized the creature was running towards us. Its front limbs were long and swinging until it got closer and then I felt like it was reaching. I dove out of the way. The flames were trailing with it. It could have been the source of the fire. The second before I blacked out, I rolled over and I got a glimpse of its legs, which looked like hind legs of an animal, maybe a horse or a goat or something like that. I woke up and I didn't know how long I had been out, but it must have been for a while because it was starting to get light out and not just from the nearby wildfires. 
The sun was coming up and I could see I wasn't the only one who passed out. Nancy and some of the guys were nearby on the ground too. I checked on them all and they were all alive and breathing, but still out. I looked around and saw a giant hole where the railroad track had been. Some of the metal had sort of melted and dripped down the side of the hole. It looked like icicles. I went to the edge of the hole, which was more like a pit, probably at least 10 or 15 feet deep. The sides of it were caked in ash. Turning around, I realized that nothing actually had been burned. The track had melted a bit. A few feet on either side of the pit were a little charred, but everything else was unburned. Green grass and weeds and the trees were still covered in needles and the trunks were untouched. There was a stripe or maybe a patch of grass that had been kind of burnt. It went from the pit over the hill in the direction of the wildfires. Once everyone woke up and determined nobody was badly hurt, we searched for three or four hours but couldn't find any sign of Casey. I'm not sure what we saw, but we all saw it. Hi Donovan, I appreciate the opportunity to send this to you. I've tried to bring it up before, but it just felt too weird. I'm from Colorado. I was born and raised here, mostly around Denver. I never felt comfortable in the city, so I moved up towards the mountains when I got out of college. I got my civil engineering degree at CU Boulder. Boulder has a reputation for some pretty hippy, dippy types, but I was never one of those. I enjoyed my time there, but on weekends when everybody was partying, I'd head for the hills with my tent. I got to know some good, out-of-the-way spots. So I'm used to the critters that are around in the mountains. I see deer and elk all of the time. The coyotes won't bother you. People can be scared of them, but personally, I like listening to them at night. Just one time I had this scary situation with a mountain lion. It was just before sunset and I was coming back from a hike. And then all of a sudden it was just there in front of me on the trail. What you're supposed to do is make noise and make yourself look big and tough. And slowly back away. Somehow I managed to remember those things even though I was really freaked out. It stared at me for a good long time. But then it just made this kind of snuffling noise and then turned away like I wasn't even worth bothering with. All that to say, I'm no stranger to the comings and goings of the resident creatures. We managed to coexist just fine. After I finished my degree, I was hired to work on the Old Moffat Tunnel. It's a railroad and water tunnel that cuts through the Continental Divide in north-central Colorado. So it's pretty high up there, almost 10,000 feet above sea level. It was given a National Historic Civil Engineering Landmark designation, so I was honored to have a chance to work with it. I got an 18-month contract to work on the restoration. I stayed up there in an old cabin. Everybody else preferred to go back down at the end of the day, so I was alone a lot. It was great, working hard during the day and having peace and quiet and starry skies at night. It's not for everybody, but I loved it. On the weekends, though, a lot of times these crazy kids would come up there to party. The tunnel was some kind of magnet for them. The thing is 24 feet high, 18 feet wide, and 6 miles long. You can imagine the daredevil crap they got into. There are 15 trains a day that go through there. After I'd been up there for about 4 or 5 months, these carcasses started showing up near the tunnel entrance. At first I'm like, these things are getting hit by the trains? But when I got a closer look, they obviously had been eaten with just remnants left behind. 
There got to be way too many of them just to be typical wild animal kills. I kept removing the piles of fur and bone and burying them as well as I could. I never saw any bears or even another mountain lion after that first one. For some reason, that area had become popular with the college kids as a place to come and do their acid trips. It gave them a real charge to get high and watch the train speeding by. I was worried one of them was going to go too far and do something stupid. I sure wasn't prepared as a medic for full teenagers. They'd come in in the late afternoon. Then they would traipse around the woods acting like they were Robin Hood and his merry men. I'm not kidding you, that was their deal. When it got dark enough, they'd come close to the tunnel and wait. Apparently, the lights and sound from the trains would really send them into another dimension. They'd be gasping and laughing and howling and dancing for hours. I don't know how you manage to make that much emotion for so long. I've never tried it. One night, I tucked myself in bed in my cabin. It was midnight, and I could still hear them rioting around out there. But I was almost asleep. Then I heard screaming. At first, I thought it was all part of the craziness. But no, this was a blood-curdling screaming. I jumped out of bed and into my pants and ran out there. They were all screaming and running in different directions. It was so dark I couldn't see why, but I smelled something powerful, like skunky. I'm thinking, are they smoking something out there? Then I could hear a train coming through the tunnel towards us. When the light came through, I saw the outline of this huge hairy beast. It was incredible, like nine foot tall. The tunnel was 24 feet and this thing almost reached halfway up. It was growling loudly and obviously enraged by that crowd of kids. They scattered everywhere and I assumed that they all made it back to their cars. The train roared by and blocked off the sight of that beast. I ran to the cabin and locked myself in. There was no way that something could be that big. Have you heard of something like this out here in Colorado? It was like a Bigfoot or something. I thought they were mostly found in Oregon. After that, I started going back to town to sleep at night with the other workers. That was a little too much for me. 